Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it's always a pleasure and a privilege to share good news with you, especially when it comes in the form of this week. It seems like, you know, the past month, ever since the passage of uh, uh, Dobbs versus Jackson in the Supreme Court, which means uh, uh, as a result in the writing of the Supreme Court justices uh, announcing that they would support Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Clinic, uh, which would uphold the 15-week ban on abortion in the state of Mississippi, uh, the justices did write in their majority opinion that there was no reason to keep Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. There was no constitutional support for that. And it's been a wonderful discussion because for as many Christians and pro-lifers who were all over the Internet on that fateful Friday, the 24th of uh, June, uh, saying, yay, this is great, this is great, no more abortion, no more abortion. You and I know that that didn't mean no more abortion. It meant that it was not long, longer legal on the federal level. And as a result, now it becomes a state's issue. And quite frankly, uh, you've seen the president do everything he possibly can. He tried an executive order a couple weeks ago uh, that the executive, there's no reason for it. There's no emergency. There's nothing that would require that to happen. Um, this earlier this week, if you didn't hear my conversation with Dr. Ingrid Skop from the Charlotte Lozier Institute, I highly recommend you do. As she explained, I mean, and literally didn't just make the wide, wild sweeping statement that um, when it comes to abortion, there's never a reason for a medical to ha- a woman to have a, me- a medical emergency that would require an abortion. And and she, boy, she doubled down on the fact that you could deliver a child at 21 weeks of gestation, and that child has an 80 percent chance of life. Um, if there, if you did ever need to, she she uses the term, and it's a great term. If you ever need to separate the baby from the mother, and that doesn't mean just automatically abort the child, but the abortion industry is so money hungry and grubbing and wants those baby body parts. And we, we've seen with David Delighton's work over the past, uh, gosh, seven years now, that that is a real situation, and that I mean the money is being made. And so the fact that Roe versus Wade has been overturned on a federal level means there's still 26 states that do have some kind of law legalizing abortion. But those states, like here in the People's Republic of California, they're doubling down and saying, we, we want to get this codified and put it in the state constitution. And then they'll actually be able to say, this is a constitutional right, not a fundamental right. I mean, that, uh, <laughs> it's amazing how many people who are anti-death penalty would say, you know, but fundamental right to kill your child in the womb. All I have to do is tell myself it's not a kid, full stop. Story's over. But that's not exactly true. So there is some good news, though, on the pro-life front that does not involve Roe versus Wade. It's just good news. Uh, A flight attendant who says that she was fired from her position at a major airline due to her religious opposition to abortion has won her case in a lawsuit against her former employer and the union. The National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation has announced a statement regarding Charlene Carter. Perhaps you heard of her. Charlene Carter used to work as a flight attendant for Southwest Airlines. She's pro-life, she's a Christian, and she says she was fired from her position because of her vocal opposition to abortion. The National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, which describes itself as, quote, a nonprofit charitable organization working to eliminate coercive union power and compulsory unionism, 
uh, provided free legal representation for Charlene Carter. Now, this is a bit of a departure for a pro-life Christian woman. Typically, they would go through Alliance Defending Freedom, First Liberty, something like that. But because they took this case as a, an incident of union oppression, union coercion, the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation handled the case and got a pretty healthy settlement here, too. Basically, here's what happened. Uh, Charlene Carter joined the Transport Union Workers of America's local 556 union in 1996. However, after serving for more than, well, nearly 20 years, in September of 2013, she resigned her membership from the union because she discovered that her union dues were funding causes that she didn't agree with. Now, this is very interesting because this happens in the teaching world a lot. American Federation of Teachers, National Teachers Association, NEA, that type of stuff, will all tell you, hey, you know what? You don't have to join the union. But when we take hundreds of millions of dollars and support pro-abortion, anti-traditional marriage candidates, and your union dues are going to that, and you say, don't put my dues there, they'll say, well, you joined the union. We're taking your dues. And if you don't join the union, we'll basically make it impossible for you to work here, apparently. Now, here's the thing. In September of 2013, Ms. Carter had discovered that her union dues were funding these causes, as she mentioned. And so she complained to Transport Union Workers of America's local 556. And she said, I don't want my money going to that stuff. Well, the union said tough, basically. They utilized the Railway Labor Act requirements that actually are federal, and they supersede state-level right-to-work laws that prevent employees from having to pay union dues as a condition of employment. They permit the termination of the employee for refusal to pay the union dues. So Charlene Carter complained, and even though she complained, they still made her pay the union dues. In the time between her 2013 withdrawal from the union and her termination, she would talk often about needing a change in union leadership, having a problem with it. In 2017, January of 2017, remember Donald Trump was elected president and there were the pink hat ladies who formed what they called the Women's March on Washington, D.C. I believe he was inaugurated uh, on the Friday of that week, and then on that Saturday, they had the, 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 the pink hat people. And I won't tell you why they wore pink hats, but Google it, and you'll find out. Remember, that was the day when Madonna said we should blow up the White House? Remember, that was the day when everybody who was saying, Donald Trump is a fascist, and he's a dictator, and he's going to kill people, and that's why we have to kill him. Leftist Democrats really believe that they should engage in violence to, quote unquote, protect democracy. I mean, it's amazing how many people watch the January 6th hearings. All they're hearing is Democrats telling you about Republicans who stormed the castle and threatened our democracy and how afraid we all were of what was going to happen. But then Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, says, um, we have some witnesses. We'd like to cross-examine your witnesses. Can we do that? Oh, no, 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 no. We have Liz Cheney. She's the Republican here. Uh, Ms. Pelosi, we would like to see all of the surveillance video of everything that happened around the Capitol that day. No, we're not going to release that. We just have our own selected video. See, there's somebody breaking in a window. 
I mean, there were two million plus people around there and a thousand of them got into the the Congress. And all of a sudden, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was fearing for her life in spite of the fact that she wasn't even in the building. Well, the Women's March preceded the January 6th uprising, obviously, and it was the other side doing what they were doing. When Charlene Carter learned that the union dues that she was still being forced to pay, mind you, she left, she started working for the union and Southwest Airlines in 1996. In September of 2013, she withdrew from the union, but they said, if you want to keep working for the airline, you still have to pay your union dues. So now she's not in the union, but she's still paying union dues. In 2017, she asked the local union if there were going to be union funds used to send women to the Women's March on Washington, D.C. Among the table items there, the agenda items, were legal abortion and funding for Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in the U.S. That's a direct contradiction to her values and beliefs. And she wanted to know, I'm paying union dues this month. Are those union dues going to help send people to the Women's March. Didn't get an answer. When she sent another email to the leadership there expressing a national right-to-work bill, she was ordered to attend a meeting with Southwest leadership to discuss, quote, Facebook postings that they had seen that were somewhere, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, suspicious. In those posts, she expressed her pro-life beliefs. The lawsuit claims that her superiors at Southwest characterized her social media postings, quote, as a form of harassment and fired her for violating the company's workplace bullying and hazing policy and the social media policy because the content was, quote, highly offensive in nature. So the union takes her dues sends people to the pink hat march where they fight for legalizing abortion and increasing funding to Planned Parenthood. She says, I don't like my dues going to this. And Southwest says that she's the bully. Nope. (laughs) In May, a federal judge rejected the attempt from Southwest and the Transportation Union Workers of America to dismiss the lawsuit. They argued that she did not have a private right to action to enforce her rights. Fortunately for her, the court have now agreed with Charlene Carter. She will receive $5.1 million from the Transportation Workers Union and also Southwest Airlines. It's a combination of compensatory damages as well as punitive damages. The jury deemed that both organizations played a role in her unlawful termination. That is good news. When the laws are applied evenly, fairly, and properly, it is good news and the righteous people of God rejoice when the laws are worked right. When we see the law being misapplied and people being victimized and brutalized by the misappropriation of the law, then the people do not rejoice. Fair enough. Can I get an amen? Good way to start this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. As we continue, more good news. We have a welcome addition to the broadcast lineup here at our flagship affiliate, KBRT. This brand new program for us called Christian Curious. If you are a Christian and you're curious about what's happening in the world, the world of apologetics, the world of, you know, how do you explain uh, your faith in the public square? Dr. Haley Gray Scott has launched this uh, blog and a podcast and now uh, Terrestrial Radio. She's been on our uh, sister station, KLTT in Denver, 
at 1 p.m. for quite some time. And now she's here Sunday afternoons at 3 right here on Bottom Line Show uh, flagship station KBRT in Los Angeles. Uh, Dr. Haley Scott is going to join me next to talk about Christian Curious. It's coming up on the other side of this break as the Bottom Line continues. Here at KBright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home. It was like two days before Christmas. And I was sitting at the bottom of a hill and somebody just came smashing into me. Like they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready like to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Well, today here on the Bottom Line Show, we have a special guest joining us that is going to, uh, I think, shed some light on an issue at hand that a lot of us have been wondering about and, and wondering how we in the body of Christ actually deal with it. Uh, I'm joined today for this segment by Dr. Haley Gray-Scott, and she is the founder of a website and a podcast and a blog and now a radio program uh, called Christian Curious. ChristianCurious.com is where you find all that information. Dr. Haley Gray-Scott, welcome to the Bottom Line Show today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about, I have to admit, I mean, I, and I'm sure you get this a lot. When I heard Christian Curious, the first thing I thought was, oh, great, another dating site. That's the last thing we need is something like that. Because it does kind of have dating kind of, I know, Christian Curious, right? I'm kind of curious about whatever. And then I started reading into what you're doing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, boy, did I miss that one. Um, I love the curiosity factor of what you do with your website. And it's Thank obviously you. the kind of apologetics and questioning. Talk about where this journey began for you, because you uh, describe yourself as a former none as it were um yeah you know you know god kind of has funny ways of doing these things you know as far as you know i could give the standard answer well this started when i was hired to be the young adult initiative um uh, director um and what that meant was was that my job was to figure out why are young adults not coming to church right why are they you know i mean why are they you know, we heard the big headlines in 2012. I wrote all about that for Christianity Today. So I followed it pretty closely about the rise of the nuns and how less young adults are going to church. And so the Lilly Foundation actually funded a grant project to be able to um, come alongside congregations in an experimental um, way, exp experimental, exploratory manner to discover how can congregations come alongside young adults in the, you know, the early 21st century. So you could say that my work with Christian Curious began there, but mm -hmm. the threads really go back further to, you know, they go back further towards 
when I was, you know, a journalist at 14 was when I started writing for the town paper. 15 is when I started working for the radio. 15 is when I took over the editor in chief. And, you know, even back further, my, you know, asking my dad all these questions. And, you know, one thing he always says, even to this day is, oh my gosh, Haley, you think too much, you know, <laughs> you think too much. Um, and so I'm constantly, that's just my, my disposition is to be really curious about yeah. things um, and to dive beneath the surface of things. And, and, and it's, and it's sort of a fun side of my personality too now, because I have two daughters that I can really embarrass. <laughs> but um, so there's that. And then there's the fact that, like you said, I was a nun. I grew up in a very, I did not grow up in a really Christian home per se, because my parents divorced. I was raised by my father who wasn't super religious person, Mm -hmm. but I grew up in a Southern Baptist town. And when I mean, what I say, when I say I grew up in a Southern Baptist town, what I want everyone to imagine is footloose. Okay. So we actually were a town of 2000 people and the person who had the authority was a Southern Baptist uh, pastor. And one day, you know, we'd been planning this um, dance for months. And that Sunday before the dance, the pastor gave a sermon against dancing. Oh, no. And we, we had to cancel the dance. They canceled the dance. And so, you know, I, I remember really being in love with Jesus when I was a little girl, um, um, and sort of even being curious back then, uh, really loving God to the point where I was like, God make me, you know, give me wisdom, you know, because I knew it made him proud of Solomon when Solomon asked for wisdom And I just, I love Jesus so much that my nanny called me the little preacher, but as I got to see some of the behavior of Christian leaders, um, as I grew older and some of the experiences that I had being ostracized as the child of a divorced family, I started to question like, is this, is God, does God really exist if this is if these are the people who say they are ordained by God to lead the church, they are the people who have the power and yet they are treating other people like, you know, second-class citizens. Is this, that just didn't jive with who I knew Jesus to be. And so, you know, when I went to college, that was, uh, you know, reinforced by yes, science, but more of the science for me was, uh, Greek mythology. Yeah. I mm-hmm. followed a professor one day and, you know, just ran, you know, just ran, chased him down the sidewalk. And I'm like, Mr. Yancey, Mr. Yancey, do you mean that the Greeks believed in their God mm. as emphatically as Christians believed in their God? And, and he was kind of like, kind of looked at me weird. And um, I was like, yeah, I guess they did. And so I'm like, then why do we think that we're right? Why do Christians think that they're right? And so that sent me into this, you know, it started my atheism path. And my atheism Mm. path was really more about being mad at God about certain things, Um, maybe a relationship that went wrong, maybe 
my parents' divorce, maybe just really being mad at God was really what my atheism was about. Mm -hmm. But then as I went further, I went into a place of agnosticism, which I believe is actually further from God because you're not engaging with God at all. Atheism is an emotional reaction um, at, at its core, I think. But agnosticism is like, well, I don't know. And I don't really care. It doesn't really impact my life. And that's when I felt most um, distance from God. And so when I started this research, listening to young adults, I started hearing their questions and I, I got it. You know, I understood what they're struggling with and it's a little different. Well, it's a lot different because of the culture that we live in today, but some of the same questions that young adults struggled with are the same questions that I struggled with. Right, right. You've walked that path. Dr. Haley Scott is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Fascinating conversation about her website, about her blog, and about her brand new radio program, at least brand new to us here in Southern California. Christian Curious is the name of the broadcast. And if you like listening to The Bottom Line show on KBright every Monday through Friday for our daily live broadcast, and then of course our best of on Saturday at three o'clock, we're there from 3 to 4.30, Monday through Friday, and also on Sunday. Tune in Sunday at 3 on KBRT. You'll hear Dr. Haley Scott talking on her Christian Curious program. Also for our KLT teams, of course, you've been enjoying her at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoons for quite some time. I, I appreciate the fact, Haley, you talk about the fact that you've got this nun experience, that you've walked the atheist road, you've walked the agnostic road, and you yourself now have kind of come back. And you're coming back with answers, but also with more questions, too. Um, what is it about the church that you've seen? Uh, let's go back to that decade ago when the Lilly study, uh, you know, the foundation came your way with the grant so you could study what was happening in the church. I, I hear this a lot from young adults, and I'll say young adults because uh, my wife and I have six kids in the Gen Z millennial uh, generation between our blended family. So we've, we've seen a lot of different people in a lot of different faith uh, configurations, as it were. Uh, more often than not, it seems like the one recurring theme that keeps coming back was, I had questions about X and the church either blew me off or didn't have the answers for me. Uh, talk about why that type of questioning shouldn't be something that should sends fear down a pastor's spine or a layperson's spine, but rather uh, it's an opportunity to really minister about the truth as opposed to feel that our faith is being challenged or even oppressed in some way. Right. Um, in the, you know, when I, finished my research over five years, I had more than 10,000 pages of data. Mm. And I analyzed that and I came down to six core questions. And one of those questions is, can I ask hard questions? And so I have a chapter where I describe what young adults are saying about that. Can I ask hard questions? Or are you going to run away from me from that? Or are you going to suppress my, my question? Or are you going to avoid it or whatever? And then, you know, the second, the corresponding chapter is addressing elephants. Because really, these questions that people are bringing up are the elephants in the room. Right. And what's really interesting is I held a young adult panel where um, I asked young adults, what did they want in the church? And this came up. And they're like, we just want to ask hard questions. We want a place 
to dialogue. We want the freedom to be able to, to bring our questions about how to interact with LGBTQ, how to interact with Black Lives Matter. Well, actually, they didn't say any of that. They just said, we want a, we want a place for hard questions. And so I let them go on for about 10 minutes. And then as a, the facilitator, I, I spoke in and I said, do you guys realize that you're all young adults you know, 10 of you up here and you keep talking about hard questions, but yet you have not named a single hard question. Mm. What are you talking about? I said, right. I know what you're talking about, but why can't you say, talk to me about LGBTQ, right. talk to me about sexual identity, talk to me about gender issues, talk to me about Black Lives Matter, talk to me about calling, talk to me about finances, talk to me about what my future, why have you not been a, we didn't even realize they could not even themselves start to voice the questions, but that is one of the things that is very important for young adults is, you know, there are young adults that, um, there are young adults that that have questions and have been, their questions have been suppressed. There are young adults who want to ask questions, who um, are afraid to because of, they fear being rejected. Um, when I did for, when I did a, a focus group with atheists and agnostics, young adults downtown Denver, one of the big things that they said that contributed to their atheism was the lack of dialogue between Christian leaders and the questions that they were having about maybe sex before marriage or LGBTQ hadn't become a really big deal then. But for Christian leaders, we have to learn how to be able to address the elephant in the room. And what that means is, is we have to be a little bit more on our toes and we have to be a little bit more cognizant of the type of world that young adults are living in. Amen. Amen to that. Great counsel from Dr. Haley Scott today here on The Bottom Line. She is the host of the Christian Curious broadcast and podcast. ChristianCurious.com is where you find that information. We have that linked up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Of course, you can hear her Sunday afternoons at 3, right here on AM740 K-Bright, our flagship affiliate for The Bottom Line Show, and also Sunday afternoons at 1 on KLTT, our, one of our two Denver affiliates for The Bottom Line Show as well. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. 
Great conversation going on right now with Dr. Haley Scott of Christian Curious today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and we encourage you to go to ChristianCurious.com and learn more about this new program that is a welcome addition to the uh, lineup here at K-Bright Radio uh, every Sunday afternoon at 3. Just Monday through Saturday, you hear The Bottom Line show, our best of on the weekend. And then on Sundays, it's uh, definitely uh, Christian Curious from 3 to 3.30. Hey, by the way, uh, Dr. Haley uh, Gray Scott is the author of a book called Dare Mighty Things, Mapping the Challenges of Leadership for Christian Women. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. At the end of our conversation today, we'll be giving away a copy of that book. So have our phone number handy, 800-227-5278. More of my conversation with Dr. Haley Scott in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Dr. Haley Scott is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Great to get to know her about and learn more about the Christian Curious Ministry. Uh, ChristianCurious.com is the website. Uh, Christian Curious is also the name of the podcast and radio broadcast uh, that the radio broadcast is new to our Bottom Line Show flagship affiliate, KBRT, here in Southern California. Monday through Saturday at 3 p.m., you tune into the Trustful Radio broadcast of uh, The Bottom Line Show, and then Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, you get Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott. Also heard Sunday afternoons at 1 o'clock on our sister station, KLTT, here in Denver. Uh, Haley, during the break, we were talking about the writing that you're doing, and you know it's it's interesting when you see authors who put out a book a year, you know, or in some cases, I remember, you know, and and we kind of scratch our heads and say, wow, I mean, it it takes years to put the research together to get the, you know, everything into print. Um, I should mention that your book, Dare Mighty Things, Mapping the Challenges for Leadership for Christian Women, uh, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're going to have a copy of that to give away at the end of our time together here. You're working on a new book that's going to be scheduled for release this coming uh, spring, not a hopeless case, I believe is the title, and it explores some different issues, some of the questions that young adults are are asking you in your research right now and asking the church on the whole. Kind of give us an overview, if you would, of what those questions look like. Well, the book, Not a Hopeless Case, you know, the whole mission and purpose of that book is to answer two very big questions that are concerning the church right now. Number one, are young adults a hopeless case? Are we ever going to get them to come back to church? Are we ever going to be able to get them to be followers of Jesus? Number two, is the church a hopeless case? Um, We've seen declining membership and things like that. And in the book, I argue that if we pay close enough attention to the culture that we're living in, the questions that young adults are asking, that no, neither one are a hopeless case. Love it. In the words of Bono. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm not a hopeless case. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but um, I did find, you know, when I was reviewing the 10,000 pages of data, um, I do not, if you ever want to be a researcher, I do not recommend you try to do 10,000 pages of data by yourself. That's a lot. Do that. <laughs> um, but I found six questions that young adults are verbalizing. And Mm -hmm. then a seventh question that's sort of buried underneath all of them. The very first one is, am I alone and unloved? This speaks to the cultural situation of young adults suffering from uh, mental illnesses. At least one fourth of the churches in our study lost young adults to suicide. Statistically, if you look at the numbers, homicide is supposed to be down, suicide is supposed to be up, and what young adults are longing to know is, am I 
am I alone and unloved? They, they feel a loneliness, general, they feel the sense of loneliness, even though that they're connected, the most connected generation in history, um, they do feel that deep sense of loneliness because some of the community, the community um, foundations that we used to have have been broken down in our society. Um, am I broken beyond repair? Um, is my mental illness, um, does that make me worthless? Is there hope for me? Um, can I be fixed? Who will fix me? Number three is where do I belong? If you look at the traditional makeup of the traditional church, you have, you know, ministries all the way through church group, and then it goes to young marrieds and maybe a singles group. And young adults are really looking for a different type of space than all of that yeah. to be built into the church life. Mm -hmm. um, uh, another one is, can I trust Christian leaders? You know, in recent times, we have seen um, so many Christian leaders um, be revealed for not having the character that they professed to have or that they exhorted the people in, you know, their communities to have or display. And so a lot of young adults want to know, can I trust Christian leaders? And we actually did have um, one fourth, in one fourth of the churches, we had pastors who had to step away because of sexual immorality. Wow. We also had to counsel with um, young women and even some men about sexually inappropriate behavior by a pastor mm -hmm. that left them feeling like they could not trust the church. And so they want to know how to trust Christian leaders. Um, another question that you've mentioned earlier is, can I ask hard questions? Is the church going to be a place where I can bring my questions you know, I mean, if I were a young adult, um, I still do this as on my podcast. I mean, I bring questions about uh, multiverses and black holes and aliens. And um, I know that sounds way out there, but those are actually things that actually come from our top news sites right now and from our government entities talking about, you know, UFOs. And, you know, if we're talking, if the government's talking about that, then, then churches ought to be talking about it as well, because young adults want to know, okay, so what is a Christian response to this? Does that mean if aliens exist, does that mean that Jesus was, did not exist? Or that, I mean, what does it mean for the Christian faith? And, you know, I do dive into, you know, Black Lives Matter, and how can you treat LGBTQ um, what does sexuality mean? Pornographic issues. Um, and then how are you making a difference? So I asked a lot of pastors, um, if your church closed its doors today, would your community notice? Mm. If not, why not? And young adults want their churches to make a difference in that community. And underlying all of those questions is really the core question is, can I make a difference? Um, if young adults are bombarded 24 seven, but with social media and the news, um, it can feel very hard to feel like you can make a significant impact 
And so they want to know, can I make a difference? And if so, how? Those are phenomenal questions. And I appreciate the thousands of pages of research that you compiled, Dr. Haley Scott, to come up with these questions because they really do help us in the church uh, deal with the culture as it is. And one of the things that you mentioned, you talked about, you know, what are the elephants in the room or what is the elephant in the room? And I couldn't help but think, you know, oftentimes the way we approach change in the church is we look at traditions or cultural things that we've always done. And you're probably familiar with the phrase, I've used it many times myself too, sacred cows make the best tasting burgers, right? You know, we just right. want let, let's, let's get rid of those things and we'll change the tradition. And I wonder how many pastors, we've only got a minute to explore this here because our time went by much too quickly. How many pastors, instead of taking a look at this, how many church leaders, instead of looking at your six questions, are asking questions like, well, I've got to get back to doing what I was doing and maybe we'll change the lighting or get a rock band or something. And that will help re-engage the young people. Uh, talk about the, the need for us to approach the elephants one by one and how do we start tackling some of these questions? Well, the world has changed so much. Um, I do spend a great deal of time talking about just how much the world has changed in the last 40 years. The world is not the same place it was when I was four. Right. So it is completely and totally different. So we can't go back to the way things were because Christians don't have the same cultural power. Pastors don't have the same degree of authority. And so we have to rethink the way Christianity is going to be in this new type of universe where we're having to deal with multiverses and um, uh, the me uh, metaverse and things like that. We have to do things totally different and we have to be able to address these elephants. The reason why, you know, addressing elephants is so important is because you can do all of your, you can add all the lights that you want, but it's not going to hide the elephant. Mm. And it's, it's, the elephant is going to be there and you have to learn how to say, hey, this is the elephant. This is what we're going to discuss. And you don't have to bend to cultural relevancy. Right. You, in order, you can be orthodox. You can be, stay committed to the orthodox um, belief statements. And I think that, that when people want to go back to the way things worked, part of that is tradition. Part, part of that's the pool of tradition. But you don't have to... Um, tradition and orthodoxy aren't necessarily the same things. And so perhaps maybe we need to look at what orthodoxy looks like in the 21st century, rather than trying to go back to traditional ways. And by traditional, we just mean a few, a few decades ago. We don't actually mean the historic orthodox Christian faith. Well, it's interesting because the, we could have a whole separate conversation on this. I see a lot of younger people, younger adults who are doing that. They're going to the Anglican church. They're going to Catholicism. Mm -hmm. They're going to that kind of uh, liturgical, orthodox, traditional, if you will, because they're looking for that kind of structure. And I think that we can take our cues from that facet of young adult living as well and, uh, and, and learn quite a bit from it. Well, if you've never tuned in to Dr. Haley Scott's program, Christian Curious, I highly recommend that you do. Sunday afternoons at three, right here on K Bright AM 740 in Southern California, one o'clock in the afternoon on AM 7, uh, 670 KLTT in Denver. And of course, you can find podcast information at ChristianCurious.com. That's just the word Christian, followed by the word curious. 
www.thinkingdoctor.com. Uh, Dr. Haley Scott, time traveled by much too quickly here, so we'll have to have this conversation again soon, a continuing conversation. But thanks for your time. Welcome to our uh, on-air terrestrial family. Uh, as, as thanks for letting us invade your uh, digital space a little bit as well here on the Bottom Line Show. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Well, that concludes my conversation with Dr. Haley Scott, the host of the Christian Curious podcast and now terrestrial radio broadcast, heard every Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. in Denver on KLTT, and now 3 p.m. every Sunday afternoon here on KBright AM 740, all throughout Southern California, AM 1240 in San Diego. Uh, we were talking about the book that she's working on now that's coming out next spring that uh, look forward to uh, seeing that one as finally available. Uh, her first book, Dare Mighty Things, Mapping the Challenges of Leadership for Christian Women, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of that book to give away right now. I encourage you to give us a call, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line Show. And uh, if you are curious about uh, your faith in Christ and and how to share it with other people, how to uh, to dare mighty things in the strange culture that we're living in, I highly recommend this book by Dr. Haley Scott. Uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. More good news for this Good News Friday coming up next as the bottom line continues. You're unlikely to surprise Brian Edgel, a real estate broker with a law degree. Kbright's smart choice home seller has sold over 400 homes, likely including one in your area. Brian's longevity in the real estate industry equips him to help you navigate tricky situations that a less experienced real estate agent might not have encountered before. Recently, a client needed to sell a home contained in a trust. With his legal background, Brian has written his own trust in the past. He's also been the successor trustee for his own parents, so he can easily explain all the confusing details to the client. Brian has sold homes in foreclosure for clients in bankruptcy. After 20 years of selling homes, Brian prefers to handle the process personally instead of handing off the transaction to an assistant because he knows how to communicate clearly to his clients, eliminating the stress of the unknown. Call Brian Edgel now for qualified guidance at only 2.9% total commission. 800-969-3992. Again, 800-969-3992. Or go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Well, my thanks again to Dr. Haley Scott of ChristianCurious.com for joining me for the past half hour here on the program. And if you're looking at your clock on terrestrial radio, that means, yeah, we started at 315 or so and we're wrapping up bound 345. Her book uh, called Dare Mighty Things is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're giving away a copy right now here on this Good News Friday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, more good news to share with you today here on this Good News Friday, as we've been talking so much about the Roe versus Wade decision and the aftermath. We knew in the bottom line crowd that Roe being overturned was a phenomenal day for the pro-life community, but it was really the beginning of the heavy lifting and not so much the, uh, the end of the conversation. And, you know, there's a dangerous, well, let's see if I can put this as gingerly as I can, as tactfully as I can. This side of eternity, with everything that's happening in the world right now, There's only one place where everything is going to be settled, and that's heaven or hell, depending on where you wind up. 
And what's interesting to me about this conversation, and maybe you've noticed it too, is we live in a culture that, not necessarily the cancel culture, but the settled culture. Culture that says, I want everything settled and everyone to agree with me so I don't have to keep having these arguments and conversations. In the advent of mobile computers and smartphones and things of that nature, it's gotten a lot tougher for people to think. I mentioned earlier this week, I think on Wednesday's program, Steve Gregg of uh, The Narrow Path had gone into a mini diatribe about the fact that Americans in general, and the church in particular here in the U.S., is not a thinking group. Now, obviously, we have to think and make decisions, but in terms of deep thought, things that require, oh, I don't know, analysis, balance, clarity, and discernment, you know, um, <laughs> we talk about the ABCs a lot, and I have to keep bringing the D and the E word in, too, because if you get the analysis on a certain issue, like somebody said something or somebody didn't say something, or what does the passage of Roe versus Wade really mean? How did it come to be? It was part of the Dobbs versus Jackson Supreme Court case. And what did they say? Well, in their opinion, majority opinion, ruling in favor of Dobbs, they also determined that there was no constitutional support for Roe or for Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And those are the two pieces of federal uh, Supreme Court. Not, one, they're not legislation. They're judicial pronouncements that have led to a number of states having pro-abortion laws and a number of states passing pro-life laws. There was one point in the U.S. where there were only eight states that would actually ban abortion all the way through. The fact that it's now up to 25 or 26 is remarkable. But nonetheless, if you listen to the left, what they'll say is fundamental rights that were enshrined in the Constitution have been ripped away from women. The, what's the shirt that's going around now? You know, the, the young women who are saying, I can't believe that I have fewer rights than my grandmother did. You know. Well, look at what right you had. I mean, can you imagine that same phrase being used in 1866 in America? I'm a slave owner, and, and now I have fewer rights than I did than my grandfather did. See, this is where doing the analysis, getting the balance and clarity of the discernment comes in. Are our rights the most important thing? Our rights as citizens? See, as Christians, in God's economy, we don't have to worry about that per se. Here's why. Because Paul tells us in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 5, and I may have transposed those. If I did, please forgive me. God made, well, let's see. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us ungodly people. So we know going in when it comes to rights, we have none. Absolutely none in God's economy, except the ones that God gives us. So because we have no rights coming in, then the blood of Jesus comes and basically says, okay, you've got this sin record and now all those sins are paid for. And the mark is washed away, those marks, the, the marks of sin on your record. So now we have justification just as if I had never sinned. But the problem with living in this world and living in the temporal world as it is, is laws and rights and privileges is all you have. See, basically, we have breath in our lungs. We have a hope for a future because of what Christ did for us on the cross, and the Holy Spirit empowers us by dwelling in our hearts. The first moment you knew the Holy Spirit came into your heart was the moment where you said, I need a Savior, because that doesn't happen naturally. The Holy Spirit gives you the gift of faith so you can receive the gift of salvation. Amen?
Okay, so now when we look at something like Roe versus Wade and legalized abortion in the United States, we could say, well, wait a minute. The unspiritual person says, that's a bunch of cells, it's a bunch of tissues. I've never seen an ultrasound before. Apparently, I've never been in on a live birth. Literally, people not having the discernment to say, well, um, (laughs) if you planted a seed to grow a tree, and the first blade of the leaf comes through. You look at that and say, oh, check it out. What's that? That's an acorn tree. Well, obviously it's not a full acorn tree, but once the trunk comes up and once it actually starts to take shape, you'll say, oh, that's right, it is. But if you rip it out, what have you done? I ripped out a bunch of roots and leaves. No, someone would say, why'd you rip out my tree? I planted those things, they've been growing for years. It takes decades to get a forest of trees. But we have that discernment with animals. We have that discernment with nature. But God forbid we have it with fellow humans. And it's amazing to me when you see people like uh, Judah Smith, his wife, Christy, uh, celebrity pastor of Justin Bieber and others, tripping all over herself, trying to find a way to make it sound like if you are a Christian and you support abortion, that there's biblical support for that. Well, pay no attention to those Bible verses that talk about being knit together in a mother's womb. No one wants to hear that if that's your argument. Well, that's the Old Testament. It doesn't matter now. I mean, those are the arguments too. Well, the good news for this Good News Friday is yet another voice and a very loud voice. And I mean that sincerely. (laughs) He does have a very loud voice. A guy who's a former uh, college star as a quarterback. He was a former uh, pro football star and has forged a very nice career for himself as a college football coach. And also a professional football coach, too. Uh, You probably have heard this name before. His name is Jim Harbaugh. Legendary was a number four for the maize and blue of uh, University of Michigan. Fun story. When uh, Jim Harbaugh was coaching, and was he coaching the 49ers at that time? He coached the pros. This is right around the Colin Kaepernick time when he was playing and not being political. And then Jim's brother, John, was the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. And they went to the Super Bowl. It was, I want to say it was the first year we did the Bottom Line Show. And I'd gotten to know a cousin of theirs, a woman who's a reporter uh, by the name of Barbara Sharp through social media. And so Barbara and I connected, and we actually did an interview right before... (laughs) the Super Bowl. Everyone else is talking about the big game and all this other stuff. And I was like, okay, who was the brattier cousin, John or Jim? Because John's older. It was a really fun conversation. But then we started talking about faith. And these guys are both devout Catholics. They take the Bible seriously. They take their teaching in God's word very seriously. And so I guess it was no surprise that last Sunday, uh, University of Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh and his wife Sarah were joined by Father John Ricardo on stage for a question and answer session during a Plymouth Right to Life uh, dinner and then an auction that went along with it. This was in uh, Plymouth, Michigan, it looks like. And basically, Jim Harbaugh, who got out of the NFL uh, a couple years ago, has been coaching Michigan's football team since 2015, started talking to the sold-out crowd about why in today's culture, It takes a lot to stand up for your convictions. This is a guy who's a passionately devout Catholic, but he's also a first-round quarterback. And the pro-life connection in him is very strong. 
Matter of fact, at the banquet, he quoted Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The coach said the words of Jeremiah. And I believe in having the courage to let the unborn be born. I love life. I believe in having a loving care and respect for life and death. My faith and my science are what drive these beliefs in me. Words of wisdom from uh, former head football, well, Super Bowl coach Jim Harbaugh, now worth the University of Michigan, talking about the sanctity of human life. It's good news to report on this Good News Friday, and it continues in just a moment on The Bottom Line. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, Good News Friday edition of the program, uh, sharing about uh, the work of Jim Harbaugh, the coach at the University of Michigan, and him quoting Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, at a fundraising banquet for a pro-life center uh, in Michigan uh, just this past weekend. And it's interesting because um, as we were talking with Dr. Haley Scott about Christian Curious, her website, the brand new show that's on Cape Wright every Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. So you've got uh, analysis, balance, and clarity with the bottom line Monday through Saturday, 3 to 4.30, and then 3 to 3.30 on Sunday. It's Dr. Haley Scott and Christian Curious. And I think about the book that she has written called Dare Mighty Things. Um, I, I realize we're giving that away, by the way, 800-227-5278 is the number to get through for the bottom line. It's amazing. Who would have thought that one of the things, the mighty things that you would have to dare in this culture is to take a stand for the sanctity of human life. And yet that's one of the mighty things to which God calls us these days. Did you ever think that that would be your story? Well, um, it's amazing, <laughs> but sometimes the stand you take really isn't anything more than what happens when you just speak the truth. And that's the bottom line on that. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider coming up next with Discovering the Jewish Jesus. For those who remain, more good news on this Good News Friday, including some people say, well, these pregnancy help centers and crisis pregnancy centers, they don't do any good. Well, what if I told you that we have, as the kids like to say, we have receipts to prove that those pregnancy centers do a whole lot of good. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and it is Good News Friday here on the Bottom Line. we got a couple of stories to tell you about. Um, two of them, are, I think, are very encouraging uh, in the sense that uh, what happened in the situations wasn't that great to begin with, but it's nice to see the hand of God at work in the middle of this. One of these is good news simply because there comes a point, what is it, the, <laughs> the Edmund Burke line, you know, um, we start to see the, um, the evil take hold when good men, good people uh, sit back and do nothing. That's a gross paraphrase of that. But basically, we've come to the point in our culture right now where I believe that it's, it's of utmost importance to tell the truth, to uh, speak the truth in love with gentleness and respect, because we know there are some people who don't want to hear it, some people who honestly don't believe there is such thing as absolute truth. And that being the case, we have to be um, mindful of the fact that they don't feel that way. So good news in the middle of not so good news, I think it's really, uh, it's encouraging to be able to share. Case in point, uh, you'll recall what happened in, uh, in Illinois, the uh, Highland Park shooting the uh, just the, the horrific attack on a group of innocent people um, that 
led to the arrest of a 22-year-old guy who just was not, didn't have both feet in the batter's box, as it were. Um, you know, is one of those terrorist acts where he had planned it out, was planning on doing another attack. Um, you know, the, the, so many people had been uh, so concerned about the violence in Illinois up until that point, and then this attack comes out. And you know what's really sad about it? Um, in some respects, is here we are a couple of weeks after the shooting, and it's kind of disappeared from the mainstream news. You know, the, the, the news, uh, there's always some kind of story where they get you all riled up and they start talking about gun control or white nationalism or this, that, and the other thing. But then when something else comes into the picture, the media just kind of moves on. And this is a story that I'm glad the ChristianHeadlines.com page uh, is following. Because after the shooting, there were a lot of reports of people. There was the one like the toddler whose parents were murdered by this crazy guy uh, and now is an orphan. Um, there's lots of stories of just sadness coming out of Highland Park, Illinois. But this story here is definitely good news worthy. An eight-year-old was injured in the fray. Cooper Roberts had been in critical condition for quite some time and uh, earlier this week his condition was had been downgraded a little bit then his fever spiked that elevated his heart rate and the doctors changed his condition back to critical they did an eso esophagram rather uh, that revealed that there was a tear in his esophagus and the doctors had thought that they had um, were able to sew it up but apparently because of all the goings on internally uh, it has reopened and so he did have a, uh, a lengthy surgery to repair the tear in his esophagus. His seventh surgery in an eight-day period. Um, thrilled to hear that uh, a member of their family, a family spokesperson, a guy called Anthony Lozizi, uh, who said, hey, you know what, guess what? His condition is being closely monitored and the next days will be critical to, respond, to ensure that he responds uh, positively. But so far, so good. Now, Cooper Roberts' mother, Keely Roberts, was also injured in the attack, and she had faced a couple of surgeries of her own. But once she had gone through the surgeries, that's when they let her know that uh, Cooper not only had gone through or was looking at a multitude of surgeries, but also that he, uh, the, the shooting had left him in critical condition and paralyzed. And it was just, it was heartbreaking to hear. Um, at that point, when she found out that her son was paralyzed and in this critical medical condition, she asked her doctors to discharge her. Uh, they said, we want to keep you here for observation. And she said, well, if you don't discharge me, I'm going to leave here on my own. <laughs> so they went ahead and gave her the discharge she was looking for. Um, when she uh, saw him the next day, uh, she had heard that he'd gone to bed the night before with a dangerously high fever. There was a lot of fluid in his lungs and he was on a ventilator. And then she got the kind of text that I think every parent wants to see, but especially what any Christian wants to hear from someone who's going through a medical challenge, a medical trial, something as horrendous and horrific as what Cooper Roberts had been through, an eight-year-old who'd been shot by this crazed gunman, had had seven surgeries in eight days, and now was on a ventilator with fluid in his lungs and paralyzed. According to the family spokesperson, he said he gave mom good news uh, on Thursday after she had seen Cooper. 
She said, look, Cooper is living proof of the power of prayer. This morning, last night he went to bed, dangerously high fever. This morning he wakes up, no fever. Last night he went to bed with fluid in his lungs. This morning he wakes up, no fluid. Last night he went to bed on a ventilator fighting for his life. This morning he wakes up and he's breathing over the vent, as she put it, which meant, quite frankly, that the ventilator now was, not, was being overpowered by his own natural breathing. His numbers are all perfect. His lungs look good. It's going to be taken off the breathing tube later today. He is just a miracle. She said, please let the world know that this is a case of the fact that God answers prayer and that ultimately love wins and that good will and can defeat evil. Now, there is a GoFundMe page set up, and we'll put the link up in this article here at thebottomlineshow.com. Cooper has a brother called... uh, a twin brother, actually, called Luke, uh, who was also injured by the shrapnel in the attack. But uh, uh, Luke is at home now, and um, and he's recovering there. Um, when Cooper finally came to, <laughs> the first two people he wanted to see, or the first two family members he wanted to see, were his twin brother Luke and the family dog. So, um, obviously, we are asking for continued prayers for, uh, for Cooper Roberts, because this is a... Uh, uh, just a, it's a really just a God thing. I mean, it's just it's miraculous to see this little boy who's been through so much and this family has been through so much. His twin brother picking up shrapnel, mom having two surgeries. But please keep the Roberts family in your prayers. Matter of fact, let's go before the throne right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who hears and answers our prayers. And we lift up the Roberts family to you right now in Highland Park, Illinois, for Mom, Keely, and for Cooper and Luke, who all uh, endured some kind of physical trauma as a result of the mass shooting there a couple of weeks ago. We praise you for Mom's continued recovery and for Luke's and the miracle that you're working in Cooper's life. And I pray for him and anyone else who's attached to this tragedy, um, and also for the shooter and his family as well. Um, for the police chief to recognize this boy and say he was in my Cub Scout group. I mean, it's, it's, it's so heartbreaking to see this happen in a relatively small town here in the U.S. But, Father, we know that you are good, you are whole, you are true, and you are faithful. And we pray that you would continue to keep the Roberts family and everybody uh, in your care during this tender time. Father, we ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's children said, Amen. Well, here we are now about a month after the passage of Roe versus Wade and uh, seeing that, excuse me, the passage of Dobbs versus Jackson, which overturned Roe versus Wade. And I've heard from a lot of bottom line listeners who say, Roger, you must be the happiest guy on the face of the earth because all you've done for the past 10 years is talk about uh, fighting abortion, standing up for the sanctity of human life. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get this overturned? Over the past couple of years, I mean, and I hope you've heard this from me. Um, I understand that as nice as it feels to know that there is no longer a federal mandate for abortion, we know a couple things will happen. First of all, we do know that that abortion mandate that was passed in the form of Roe versus Wade was in fact unconstitutional. It was based on lies that a lot of people believe are true. And it was also based on a demand that uh, really doesn't have a leg to stand on, if you will. Earlier this week, Dr. Uh, Ingrid Scott was with me from the Charlotte Lozier Institute. We talked about the medical necessity for a woman having an abortion. And she said, look, I mean, in 97% of the cases, there's no medical reason 
for a woman to have an abortion. It's purely whether or not she wants to have a child. And, you know, it's just, it's so interesting. We, we hear from people like uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter out of the People's Republic of California, who got into an argument about uh, this whole situation with someone as, as to whether or not she, 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 she was on MSNBC, I believe, uh, a couple nights ago. And they were asking about inflation and asking about overturning Roe versus Wade. And she said, well, they're kind of the same issue here because, you know, that woman who makes that decision to abort the uh, to, to terminate her pregnancy because that's one more mouth to feed. And I thought, wait, w- wait a minute. So you are part of the clump of cells group. You are part of the crisis pregnancy centers are unlicensed. So therefore, they're dangerous group. You are part of the uh, the group that says uh, my body, my choice. So this is just a part of a woman's body. But you're freely acknowledging that part of the reason why a woman might not want to carry the baby to term is because that child that's forming in the womb will be delivered as a fully human baby who needs food and needs clothing and needs a place to live. And that might create an economic problem for a family. Well, if it's just a cluster of cells, what economic problem is there? I mean, if it's just an inconvenience, and I realize there are people who say, oh, no, you don't become a human being till uh, you know, the third trimester. <laughs> really? Have you read the Old Testament recently about God knitting us together in our wombs and uh, in our mother's wombs, rather, and you know, the souls getting there before the bodies are completely done? And oh, my heavens. Well, crisis pregnancy centers, as they've been called, or pregnancy resource centers, as I like to call them are serving thousands of women every year with the kind of medical care during pregnancy that the abortion clinics in this world would like you to believe that they provide, but they don't. But how many babies ultimately are being saved by pregnancy resource centers? On the other side of this break, we're going to take another swing at uh, some of the uh, attacks Elizabeth Warren and others have made against the pregnancy resource industry and talk about the licensing thing and talk about the number of babies and literally how much money women save when they're pregnant by using a pregnancy resource center rather than going to a so-called women's health care clinic where you can abort your child. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you could earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and we've got good news with regard to the overturning of Roe versus Wade, and more specifically, what does it mean when the likes of Senator Elizabeth Warren and others say, well, these crisis pregnancy centers are unlicensed and they're dangerous and women are not getting health care and blah, 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 blah. What does that really mean in, in the culture? It's so imperative that we in the body of Christ who are pro-life 
And I realize there are some people who are in the body of Christ who are pro-abortion. And at that point, I would respectfully disagree with you and ask the question, based on what? And you might throw out the Jewish argument that says, well, in the Jewish tradition, if the woman was having an issue with the baby and the lives were, you know, they're entangled in terms of, you know, what, what do you do? Do you let the mother deliver the child and then she might die, but the baby will live? Or if you, you know, if you abort the child, then at least mom will live. And the Jewish position was always you take care of mom's health first. And, you know, that really makes sense. If you've ever traveled on a plane or traveled one recently, you know, when they give you the old oxygen mask conversation, what do they tell you? If you're traveling with a child and the oxygen mask comes down from the ceiling, the first thing you do is what? You activate the little pressurized thing and put your own mask on first. Then you help the child. So. Putting the parent's mother's health, in this case, above the child is not a new concept, and I think it's actually a biblical one. But here's the difference. You can't use that argument to say, and that's why we killed the kid. Go back and listen to my conversation with Dr. Ingrid Scott from Charlotte Lovejoy Institute about the number of women who might have to be, as she put it, separated from their child during pregnancy. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the child would be aborted. It means that you take the child early, and she, as she was saying, when we started the Bottom Line Show back in 2011, if you found a kid that was born at 28 weeks premature and they survived, it was all glory, hallelujah. Anything earlier than that and what we heard from the experts was they're going to have a hearing loss. They might have a problem with their vision. Sense of smell might be weird. They might have stunted growth. I mean, they would have some kind of physical or, or cognitive challenge. Dr. Scott told me on Monday, hey, you can have kids at 21, 22 weeks of gestation put them in the NIC ICU for the last part of the pregnancy and watch them grow. And they turn out like you would not know they had been through any kind of trauma like this. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, think of how many children's lives are saved at pregnancy resource centers compared to abortion clinics. If a woman comes in at 21 weeks and they suspect that there might be a challenge, fetal abnormality, whatever it is, the Pregnancy Resource Center is going to say, here's a hospital you can go to to visit a doctor who will help you get a medical solution to what you're looking for. Either medical help for the baby, they could do surgery in the womb, medical help for mom, or as Dr. Uh, Scott put it, uh, they will separate mother and child so that both of them can get the care they need. Meanwhile, when you go to an abortion clinic, they will kill your baby. I mean, that that's really the difference. And I know they'll say, oh, it's crisis pregnancy centers and pregnancy resource centers. They're unlicensed. Well, they're unlicensed in a lot of states because the states will not pass legislation to allow them to be licensed unless they also perform abortions. Now, I will be the first to admit, when I see a pregnancy resource center that says, we want to help you whether you deliver the child or where you place the child up for adoption. And I'm thinking, yeah, but you know what? You really do need to give them the third option as well because once they see what the other two are, you're gonna, we're going to have George Barna back on in another week or so and he's going to share the shocking statistic about the number of women on both sides of the aisle, either pro-life or pro-death with abortion, that don't know all their options. We talk about this like everybody should know, that you either give birth and become a mother, you give birth and release the child for adoption, or you kill the child in the womb. Those are your three options when you're pregnant. But nearly half of the women that George Barna surveyed said they didn't know they had all three of those options, and they knew very little about their adoption options. My goodness, what pregnancy resource center worth their salt would not have, if nothing more, a referral for an attorney you can help with the adoptions, right? Well, how about a new study also from the Charlotte Lozier uh, Institute? 
talking about ways that we in the body of Christ can very lovingly and respectfully debunk some of the myths about pregnancy resource centers, as we like to call them, crisis pregnancy centers, as they're being called in the media. Remember, there's been about 30 or 40 of these pro-life pregnancy resource centers and a few churches, too, that have been graffitied, that have been firebombed. Now, there was one, uh, it was a church or a pro-life organization where somebody, it was back in 2020, somebody uh, apparently graffitied all over the church and talked about how Biden's the best president because he supports abortion, et cetera, et cetera. And it turned out that it was actually a member of the church who did that, and they wound up paying a pretty steep fine for that. So we have to call that kind of activity out when it does happen. There's no place in that, uh, in the pro-life community for that kind of attitude. But the pregnancy resource centers in the United States, there are 27, 2,800 of them. Between 2016 and 2020, crisis pregnancy centers are responsible for allowing the births of 800,000 children during that five-year span. 160,000 or so per year. The the exact total is 823,131. Now, in addition... These centers provide free ultrasound exams, free pregnancy tests. They provide a whole slew of freebies. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of people on the left will say, well, you know, birth control, birth control, birth control. There are some faith-based pregnancy resource centers that do not provide birth control. But there are some more secular-based ones that often do. will help you get connected with a doctor for a prescription for uh, birth control pills. will help you... Uh, selling, you know, the condoms to guys and things of that nature. I mean, they don't always specialize in that, but they do make it possible. Now, it's interesting because uh, pregnancy resource uh, centers, or quite frankly, pregnancy help centers is the new term that's being used right now. Uh, Here's what Elizabeth Warren says they do. She wants them all shut down. Quote, in Massachusetts right now, those crisis pregnancy centers that are, they're there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help and they outnumber a true abortion clinic by three to one. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts, and we need to shut them down all around the country. You should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that. Those are the words of uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. So what kind of torture happens at a pregnancy resource center? And I'm chuckling only because the torture is a free pregnancy test that you'd have to pay for at Planned Parenthood that's torture for a woman or a free ultrasound that you can't get at an abortion clinic but a pregnancy resource center will tell you I've mentioned uh, Lisa and I have a daughter Taylor who's expecting in October and a little boy we know that and when she was she was in between jobs she'd been self-employed and worked for another company and things are kind of in transit when she first found out she was pregnant, did a home pregnancy test, and so she wanted an ultrasound, so she went to the Pregnancy Resource Center near her home. The first ultrasound pictures I have of my soon-to-be-born grandson were free ultrasound from the Pregnancy Resource Center. Now, she got kind of hooked on it, and she went down a lot. I got more pictures, <laughs> but but nonetheless, they were there. Someone had donated the money to provide the machine, the ultrasound machine, and she could get that picture taken. And she could see that is actually one of the most powerful weapons against abortion right now is showing a pregnant mom her soon to be born child. 
ask, call Planned Parenthood, ask to schedule an ultrasound, and ask if you can take a picture with you when you go. You know what's going to happen? They're going to say no. And the reason they don't want to show you, they'll say, is because it would be damaging to you, the mother's health. You know why it'd be damaging? Well, it's too traumatic to see that, 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 that picture in there, knowing you're about to have a procedure that's going to give you abortive care, that's life-saving health care. They don't want you to see your child because your maternal instincts kicked in. You'll say, wait, that's my baby. And I know I'm only six, seven, eight weeks along, but he looks just like his dad, you know, or whatever. And wow, over the past five years, pregnancy resource centers have provided the kind of medical and non-medical information that people need to save the lives of 828,131 preborn children. But there's more to it than just that. Millions of dollars in other services also provided. We'll talk about which ones coming up next as the bottom line continues. You're unlikely to surprise Brian Edgel, a real estate broker with a law degree. K-Bright's smart choice home seller has sold over 400 homes, likely including one in your area. Brian's longevity in the real estate industry equips him to help you navigate tricky situations that a less experienced real estate agent might not have encountered before. Recently, a client needed to sell a home contained in a trust. With his legal background, Brian has written his own trust in the past. He's also been the successor trustee for his own parents, so he can easily explain all the confusing details to the client. Brian has sold homes in foreclosure for clients in bankruptcy. After 20 years of selling homes, Brian prefers to handle the process personally instead of handing off the transaction to an assistant because he knows how to communicate clearly to his clients, eliminating the stress of the unknown. Call Brian Edgel now for qualified guidance at only 2.9% total commission. 800-969-3992. Again, 800-969-3992. Or go to smartchoicehomeseller.com. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday. Wrapping things up here in this segment with a uh, just a powerful statistic. Our friends at the Charlotte Lozier Institute in Texas have calculated, based on the number of pregnancy resource centers there are, pregnancy help centers there are in the United States. By the way, there are 2,700 or so of them. There are 15,000 paid staff and 54,000 volunteers. And these are the places where they have education and classes, medical care, resources, diapers, clothes, car seats, et cetera, et cetera, strollers. The the study that was conducted is using the term pregnancy health centers. I like that a lot better than crisis pregnancy centers. But pregnancy health centers are making a difference. 828,000 plus kids lives were saved over the past five years actually from 2016 to 2020 so countless others over the last two years but can we get into the number of dollars saved because of the free services that are offered to pregnant women i mentioned just a couple of the basics the free pregnancy test if you go to planned parenthood they will charge you for a pregnancy test the free ultrasound go to planned parenthood not only will they charge for the ultrasound they won't even show you the picture And the list goes on to the resources and things that are provided to women and expectant parents through a pregnancy help center. Whereas if you go to a Planned Parenthood, they might ask you when you want to have hormone transition replacement therapy, because that's part of their business. Or do you want us to teach kinky sex to your kids? Because that's part of sex education. Those are things that Planned Parenthood engages in right now. And oh, by the way, 
they're still getting $700 million a year from the federal government because they are, in fact, a nonprofit organization. In uh, 2019, pregnancy resource centers assisted roughly 2 million men, women, and children throughout the year, and their services that they provided for free had an estimated value of $266 million. Elizabeth Warren's mad, though, because she said, we need to shut these places down. They outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one because Elizabeth Warren and leftists are so brainwashed to think that if you don't provide abortion, you can't be a qualified health care clinic. And yet there are 14, 15,000 federally qualified health care clinics across the country that do shots and x-rays and blood work and all sorts of stuff for people in the lower income world. They don't have the best insurance or whatever. And they provide birth control and they do pap smears and they do mammograms. They do all that stuff. The only thing those healthcare facilities do not provide is abortion. And yet somehow Planned Parenthood found a way to shoehorn themselves in. And now they are considered a federally qualified healthcare resource center. Pregnancy help centers save lives. 800,000 kids over a five-year span, $266 million in free services handed out in one year alone. And may God continue to use these outstanding men and women and these excellent organizations to speak life into a culture that thinks that death is life, life is death, good is evil, and evil is good. And that's the bottom line.